0: Matt Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Jones TFR. And real quick before I introduced our guests today, I want to tell you guys about our sponsor, betonline.ag. Currently, we know that there are no sports going on right now, no NBA, no NHL, MLB. You might think there's no way to make money on BetOnline, but you would be wrong. There are still some sports going on around the world, uh, and we also, of course, have our online casino and blackjack here at betonline.ag. They're open 24 hours a day. They're online, obviously, and they're, uh, they're actually running a $750,000 poker series uh, at the moment. So you can bet on uh, – you can play some poker. I've actually been in the poker streets lately uh, playing a little bit, Um, If you're into props, entertainment betting, you can even bet on the weather. Uh, So go ahead and check out their website, betonline.ag. You can use our promo code BLUEWIRE, and they're going to hook you up with a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. So head on over to BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right. Now that we have that out of the way, we have Jason Rouslin joining us today. Uh, you've probably heard the two of us chat on his show, but I got him, uh, I got him to come on bogey free here. You can find him on Twitter at DFS golfer 23, and obviously you can find all of his great work over at Awesomeo. he does main slate showdown, all sorts of stuff when, when golf is actually happening. Um, so what's up, Jason? Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely feel like uh, maybe a little bit of, of twiddling my thumbs, um, but uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned for bet online, um, or I saw, you know, they're doing like stock price betting, which is yeah. right up my alley, and how I'm trying to keep busy uh, in my life outside of uh, there not being much golf. So happy to at least uh, get to talk a little bit of golf today, even if it's more strategy than anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's uh, it's been obviously all of this is is terrible. But it has given, uh, it's given people some free time, it seems like. And uh, and we've been able to, I was able to do a little bit of ownership research. I put up that show last week. And uh, we're going to be talking about some general strategy for building lineups. Um, and, you know, how, how do you transition from going, uh, you know, if you're a single entry guy, if you do a lot of three max, how do you build up? And uh, what are the what are the decisions you have to make to build more lineups at once? Um, and I figured you were you were the guy to chat about that with because I know you're you're big in the mme streets, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a how do I say it? it it's a boomer bust game if you play certain ways, and and that's you know what I'll try and share once we dive into this a little bit. There's I, when I first broke into the to the biz, and, and if this is not the first time you've heard me talking, I apologize if, if you've heard this story a couple of times, um, but if this is your first time hearing me, then I used to when I worked for Fantasy Golf Insider, which you know they provide some really good stuff over there. I used to study. This is how I really got into it. I used to study the ten best pros in PGA DFS, and that really gave me an inclination that there were so many different ways you could go about it and each right. way presented its own problems and its own benefits. So uh, definitely happy to break that down um, as we move forward and be like. So definitely, definitely some good information.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think there's, there's always value to doing that. I know I, uh, I do that somewhat in golf. Um, and I definitely do that in NFL looking at some of the guys who are always up at the top and just seeing what their, you know, what their exposures look like, how they're constructing lineups. Obviously, NFL is a whole nother beast because of, you know, all the different positions and correlations that you, that you have to run. Golf is, um, it's just a totally different animal because none of that, you know, none of that exists. You don't have these correlations, these stacks, you're not doing teams in the regular contest. So, Um, before, before we jump into the, uh, the actual, you know, lineup building questions and stuff like that, I, we've had this conversation, I've had this conversation a million times with different people. Do you think that there is such a thing as a cash lineup in golf?
1: I don't. Um, and the reason I say that is because I, the lineup that I play in my biggest dollar buy-in, which, you know, it depends on how I'm running. It depends on how many world pandemics are going around, uh, that I actually have for a bankroll, but it's anywhere, you know, I I rarely try and do the Thunderdome just because that, you know, it seems like a lot of money to spend on one golf lineup. Um, but I've done it a few times. However, it's normally in the $1,500 or the $500 tournament. If I'm, if I'm doing cash that week, which is, you know, on weeks where I think I have an edge, I'm going to enter the exact same lineup in the $300 or the $500, uh, that I would for a cash lineup. Um, Mm -hmm so i guess that goes to say that probably not right i mean what's your opinion on that if i'm putting it in the in a gpp that i is my top lineup and i'm putting it in cash i mean i guess that's kind of it's kind of hard to say differentiate it between the two
0: right and that that's kind of my point like when you when you talk about other sports um every week you know in nfl i do i do single entry and three entry mostly um but even my single-entry lineup is not exactly the same as my cash lineup. Uh, so I think that there's there's a very particular way to build an NFL that's just like you need to do X, Y, and Z in cash or you're probably going to be a losing player. And golf, I don't really think that that's – I don't think that that's a thing that exists really.
1: Yeah, I, because the way that the golf lineups um, – the salaries come out, I mean – depending on the tournament, you know, maybe you actually need to get a guy like Rory in in cash. um, Right. So yeah, I, you know, I play a little bit of NFL and I would say that that's probably the biggest difference between the two is, you know, like you said, in NFL, if you don't have certain guys, you're likely going to lose long-term. Um, in golf, it, it really does change. Um, really does change week to week for me and Right. And that's right. why I haven't, I don't do much cash. If you look at the overall allocation that I'm putting out there, I'm not doing much cash at all. Um, because if I'm putting in the same lineup, uh, it's likely uh, that I'm either going to miss on both or I'm going to make on both. Right. right. So, um, I've just kind of, I just kind of limit my exposure that way if, if you know yeah. what I
0: mean. Yeah, for sure. So do you, uh, as far as single entry, you know, the, the, Uh, the contest that you mentioned before um, do you have like hard and fast rules uh, for how you build a single entry or um, I guess also how do you then expand do you do any of the three entry contests or are you mostly like single entry and then the larger entry max
1: yeah so uh, I I do like how DraftKings puts out a bunch of different contests uh, so to speak uh, for us they took away one of my favorite ones and just put it back in before they, you know, before the PGA tour went on hiatus was the $150 three entry. Mm-hmm. They did is they kind of replaced that with a $200 single entry and a $100, like 15 entry. Right. Going down the list even a little bit, there's a $20 three entry tournament, the scramble the $12 albatross, which is a single entry. So yeah, I'm, I play in all those. Um, I like those cause I like to see, um, my strategy, uh, that I go into it. So, when I move into the single entry stuff, if I really like a low owned stud, but I did not get him in my main lineup, that's definitely where I'm going to use him. Right. The reason the reason being in the single entry and in the three entry is because I find that the chalk gets chalkier and the non chalk gets non chalkier. Right. In most cases. Yep. So that's what I'm really trying to leverage. Um, you know, last year, I remember that the the three entry and single entry lower dollar buy-ins or medium dollar buy-ins, I should say, uh, have been my most profitable over the last 52 weeks. Uh, maybe we need to stretch it out a little bit more, but probably say 60 weeks. Um, and the reason to that is because I've been able to highlight the low owned studs right. and they're even lower owned, right? As I just mentioned. So... Um, That's the strategy I really try and focus on. Do I try and build around my core in there? It depends. It depends on how much I'm in love with my core. Some weeks I hate it, right? I put four guys in there and I'm like, I look at it and I'm like, no, none of these guys are going to make the cut, let alone um, come in the top 10. So the single entry stuff, I really just focus on ownership. I look at where I think I'm going to get leverage in that specific contest and that's the way I play it.
0: how about you? Yeah, so I think uh, as far as the ownership concerns go, I think that in general people get – and I, I'm definitely guilty of this too. I I overestimate how good I am at predicting how golfers are actually going to do. And realistically, it's like playing the ownership game is almost always going to be uh, more profitable than trying to – really nail down, like, oh, this guy's going to be in, in the top five because of, you know, X, Y, and Z stats. Um, for me, my single entry lineup is typically, when I'm building more lineups, I have a core of four to, like, six guys that I rotate through in, like, the 150 max. Yep. So, I I have, it, it usually works out that I have at least four of those guys, and then I pick you know, really um, sort of more random uh, lower own plays, like you said. Um, and if if people are listening to this and you didn't listen to the pod that I put up last week, um, basically what I've found in looking through the ownership is that across every single, uh, <laughs> across every salary range, the ownership does very little to predict actual DraftKings scoring. So that That should lead us to say, you know, even if I think that this guy is a lock for a top 10, uh, but he's going to be 25% owned over the long term. If you pick a guy that's 12% owned and the same price, you're likely going to get the same results. (laughs) So, um, and obviously that's, that's more leverage for you to, uh, hopefully do well in a GPP. So I, I typically, um, have that core. The three entry, I'll play every so often. I usually am more of either twenty entry or hundred fifty. Um, so it, when you're expanding out from from that smaller core, what obviously you, I'm sure you throw money into some of the twenty entry maxes. How are you altering how many guys are in your pool um, from twenty? max to 150 max or are your allocations just different?
1: Yeah. So this is where, you know, I this is where a lot of different pros, I'll call them, or whatever, you know, uh, DFS pros have completely different strategies. Yeah. I found myself that in my in my big dollar lineups, including the single entry and three entries I'm using relatively similar cores but my player pool remains relatively selective. When we get into the 20 entry max, I bump it up a little bit. I would say that in a 20 entry max, the most guys that I'm going to have are going to be 25 guys. However, what I'll tell you is in a 20 entry max, I'm actually likely to, throughout the course of a week, hand build at least 15 or 20 lineups because I just like making lineups. It's fun. Yeah. Um, in likely the 20 hand-built lineups that I'll make will go into the 20-entry next. When we get into the 150, I I would say my average player pool size every single week, um, unless it's a WGC where I likely, in a WGC, cover most of the field, Right. Uh, I'm probably at about 50 golfers a week. Okay. Based on my research, that is above the mean, above the average, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say... Um, it's the highest out there. I've seen guys go up to like 65 guys, which seems a little crazy. They're covering half the field. What I found, though, is that every single guy that had over 40 golfers in their player pool had a lot of them. Almost 50% of them owned under 5% in their allocation. So it's really just dart throws. And that's the way that I've done it is, you know, yeah, I I would love to – you know, put Nate Lashley who we couldn't even do it. I'd love to get him in there one or two times. Cause if I hit my core and he wins the the 3M open or whatever he won, the rocket mortgage, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there's other examples than Nate Lashley. Uh, I'm sure we could, you and I could come up with a couple just from this year um, that a guy just goes under owned or, or Andrew Landry, right? He's, he's probably right, the, yeah. the yeah. example recently. Would I have covered him? I mean, probably not, but if I am, I don't mind some people have told me in the past, dude, you're just throwing away money. You're just throwing away $5. Yeah, I guess so. But when we're talking about those big ticket contests, some of the lineups I do look at as lottery tickets, uh, because that's sometimes what it takes to win them.
0: Yeah. I mean, in, in these top heavy GPPs, like you're, if, if you're just hoping to, to min cash with, with all of your lineups, that what like what are you doing like why are you playing like (laughs) you know what I mean like that's not the point the point is to is to access some sort of a ceiling and playing those playing uh you know one lineup out of 20 or one lineup out of 150 with some completely off the wall guy I guess technically you're you might be like over the long term you're probably minus but likely I it am. hits yeah but when but when it hits it hits like that's that's the entire point of gpps like you're not talking about you know playing one of those guys in uh in the fifteen hundred dollar single entry like exactly you're talking, you're talking about one of 150 so and i as far as my player pool goes i know we talked about this on your pod a little bit
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh and I've, I've been sort of dipping my toes in the water of the 150 max world doing the mini max. And for me, I feel like I end up right around say 30 to 35 guys that are, that have like a decent chunk of ownership. And then like another 15 or so that just are in one, one of those lineups. Yep. That's, that's kind of how my, my ownership percentages have have uh have gone when i've been doing this but i think also i i go a little heavier on my my top owned guys like what's your what's your likely most owned guys like how how owned are your core is your core play is going to be how do you how do you attack that part of it
1: so it, it changes tournament to tournament but i think i have a general thesis or philosophy on it if if it's a weak tournament and I am just in love with the stud or studs, maybe you'll see me get to 65 or 70%. Mm-hmm. I went back and looked just just prior to coming on this, uh, this year. Um, I looked at my numbers coming on to the show. And granted, you can check out my numbers. I post them in my article every week. I have not had a good year on DraftKings. And in fact, I haven't had a really bad year in MME. And that's, that's how it goes, right? last year i had an amazing year in mme and this year you know the the variance i guess we could say is not on my side my process hasn't changed right um i'm not playing as much speed so i don't really know what's going on right in fact i've reduced my speed exposure almost in half and i'm still doing terrible anyways um a lot of going into that uh, i've i've missed um I've missed some obvious plays or tried to fade some obvious plays but Generally, I'm staying right around in my top exposure, 40 to 50%.
0: Okay. And you how, know, the, we, how many guys are, are in that range? Is it just you're the one guy up top or is it like a, a group?
1: Yeah, so we've got a sliding scale.
0: Um, it's, good, it,
1: it's a really good talking point and a good question, but it's a sliding scale. So my top guy is going to be 45. Then I'm going to probably go 40, somewhere in the 30, you know, high 30s for the next guy and, and probably 35 for that fourth guy. Right. So the total ownership between the four is roughly going to be 160 to 200%. You know, the 200% obviously goes when I'm in love with my core. Uh, 160 is probably more normal for me. Right. Um, again, some people's argument against me as well, Jason, if your guy hits 40%, it's not enough. Um, and if your guy doesn't hit, you're losing 40% of your lineups. You know there's that there's that debate on each side. I've yeah. found this to be um, my easiest possible way to success in a two hundred thousand entry person tournament,
0: right? Yeah, I think that makes sense. like for for me, and again, we've we we have briefly touched on this, but my uh, the way that I do it is I go super heavy on those three or four main guys that I'm that I'm interested in. Like I, those three guys probably account for, uh, like I'm between 60 and 80% on the three guys. Um, and then there's another sort of like my secondary core, I guess you would say, would be in like the 30 to 40 range. And then it's, you know, some guys that I just kind of want to match the field and then the, all the dart throws at the end, basically. Um, but I, I think I think forty percent in general, like how often is a guy gonna be owned forty percent? Like if you're you're gonna be overweight regardless. Like if and, you're and a guy in
1: 40%. Yeah, and that's a great point. And and that's that's where I've come to find out and saying, all right, well, if I play a tournament where Rory's the favorite and it's a weak field, I know I'm gonna have to go 70%. Right. But what I've learned is that if I go 40 or 45, I'm likely to get at least 2x in in that type of field. Right. Like again, this is subject to change every single week, but it's likely I'm going to get at least 2x if I'm going 40%. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that that I think that checks out. Um and like I said, I'm I'm slightly more concentrated, but I uh again, like we're we're making those both of those decisions have merit on the fact that you're you're trying to hit the top. You're not, you're not like, I don't really care when half of my lineups don't cash because that's not the, again, that's not the point. Like it's not a double up. Like you're, you're trying to get, you know, two or three of those lineups in the top 1% and maybe, you know, you get all the way up to the top and then it doesn't matter that 60 of your lineups were, you know, quote unquote thrown out money (laughs) because you got the rest, you got everything back and then some, um, so we, we also have a, a few listener questions here that I want to get through. Um, Stat uh, reached out and asked a couple, the, the first one I think is definitely for both of us. The second one is kind of more for me, but um, do you, do you adjust the way that you're, you're building your lineups? You said there's some guys that, you know, some weeks that you just fall in love with guys and you think that you need to really get, get after it. But, do you make these, those decisions based on the golfer, or do you ever make those decisions based on how difficult the course is? Like, are you going to change your strategy a little bit in a U.S. Open versus a Birdie Fest? how How does that How does that decision uh, decision happen?
1: Yeah, I guess I would say that in majors, in the Millionaire Maker contest, you have definitely seen a pattern of golfers that end up in the winning lineup. There's no doubt about it. For each Millionaire Maker, I I put out, you know, the last eight winning lineups or something like that um, for an article, and I talk about that. So, that may not answer your question specifically, um, but I will say that more, more golfers will come into play in a birdie fest than it will in a U.S. Open for me. I, I, but at that same token, it goes to strength of field as well. So this is a – I know I'm kind of bouncing around on the question. It's a tough one for me to answer. It is tough. Because when you get the tougher courses normally in a major, you get the strongest field. So that's – it's tough for me to say that. I'm trying to think of a tournament which was really like the – okay, so the Honda, for example, right? Yeah,
0: that's what I was going to say.
1: Yeah, the Honda this year. I didn't change – I don't think I changed any of my normal process knowing that it was going to be so hard. Right. You know, um, I still played Keith Mitchell and shouldn't have, you know, like plenty of <laughs> things, um, plenty of situations like that. So I guess to answer your question, no, not really. Um, I, I don't – I try not to look at it. Um, I try not to have it impacted.
0: Yeah, I think. Uh, I think there are – there's definitely – strong arguments to be made on both sides. So I feel like for me, the answer is I just, I don't really, I don't really change anything specifically because of that. Um, it may change who I'm selecting, but it's not going to change my overall, um, you know, like I'm not going to all of a sudden in a birdie fest play, nobody over 30% or something like that.
1: Yeah. I don't think it changes my allocations too, too much. Um, it, yeah, I, I, have tried to look back in, uh, like the Honda. I don't, yeah, again, I don't think it changed too much for me.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think that that makes sense. Um, the, the second question from him was about my power ranking model. He asked how I measure volatility. Um, so as far as, uh, say, you know, a guy has there's two guys in a similar price point and they're they both got a an 82 from the from the power ranking score um, I, i've I've been working on a simulator which takes into account the volatility, which will be an article at some point um, but I, I could definitely I could definitely come up with a better way to uh, to present that because I think that that is important the the a guy who has an 82, who goes from top fives to missing the cut very often is different than a guy who kind of lives in the twenties. You know what I mean? So, um, there's there's definitely something to be said for that. So when when golf picks back up, I promise that I will have some sort of a score, a volatility score, or a GPP score, whatever you want to call it, um, and we'll we'll get after it when when everything comes back. Uh, next question from Matt Brennan. Uh, how how do you handle chalk in three max contests? I feel like you kind of answered this before, um, but it, do you do you ever find yourself making complete fades uh, based on chalk in the lower entry uh, contests? Definitely. I mean, if
1: I know, if, if we know as a, as an industry that Gary Woodland's going to be forty percent owned it's likely I'm fading him in the single entry and three entry. Cause even more people are going to have
0: him. Right. And then as you, as you expand out towards the larger, um, you know, 20 entry, 150 entry, are you, if you're fading in the other entry max, are you hedging or are you still going underweight or is that a different decision altogether? Like, how do you, how do you handle when you go up in entries?
1: Yeah, so that is definitely a, a really important question. And I think that actually goes back to the overall level of confidence I have in the play. So if I think Gary's going to win, I don't know why I'm picking Gary Woodland. It's just Because <laughs> like
0: like, yeah. you're on bogey free, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: what we do, right? Uh, um, so I'm going to pick Gary again. So if I think Gary's going to win the golf tournament and he's going to be 40% owned, I'm going to take my leverage in the three entry and single entries and not play them. And then I'll either play them at the projected ownership or over it. Again, this depends. If he's going to be 25% owned, I'll go to X. He's going to be 40% owned. I'm either going to go up to that 70 or I'm going to play him at,
0: at even part.
1: If I don't like him at all, it's likely he's in at 5% for me or something smaller than that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I think that makes sense. That's, that's how, that's how I handle it um, as well. Uh, and then our, our last question from Jack loud five is, uh, is more of a, more of a bankroll management slash, um, you know, like, how are you, how are you picking uh contests basically, <laughs> but how do you, how do you typically spread out? He, he gave the example, say you have a hundred bucks. Um, like how, what percentage of money are you putting in single entry versus, uh, the, you know, at the different entry maxes?
1: Okay, so I, I, I saw the question I think came in at like $100 or something like that. So let's just talk in relative terms because it, it means no difference, right? If, you know, my average buy-in this year on DraftKings per week, um, and I put this out weekly, was say $2,000. So let's just take it relative, right? If my $2,000, what, what what is done for me this year is I play one lineup in the $500, I play one in the $200, I, I play uh, the 150 lineups in the $5, so that total right there, roughly about $2,000, give or take, right. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's about $500 shy of it or somewhere in that range. So I think to answer his um, question, yeah, I, uh, to answer the specific question, I definitely spread the money out. I mean, I, I could do, you know, four lineups in the $500 and call it a day, right, and there's, right. you know, see what my week is is like. That's not how I do it. I, I set a, I set a, you know, a, a budget of, you know, if of roughly twenty percent of my overall bankroll, right? So I have a bankroll number in mind of how much I'm willing to lose in the year uh, going into it automatically. So I think I think that's important to everybody has these things about oh, you know, play percentage of your bankroll here and that. I don't look at it in that terms. I look at it in the terms of okay, what's the most that I'm going to be willing to put on my taxes next year that I lost playing DFS golf, right? That's what I go into the year as. So I say to myself, all right, well, if I think my run rate is something in the 12 week range, I need to budget 12 weeks out so that I know that I have the ability to play for those 12 weeks, right? If I blow my entire bankroll in one week and I have a bad week, I'm done. I won't get to play for those next three months. Now." The government forced my next three months of not playing on me this time or, or the PGA tour or coronavirus, whatever it is. Um but I th- I think that answers the guy's question and I am definitely taking the amount of money that I'm willing to invest weekly in doing this and spreading it out between the contests that I want to play in. Right.
0: And I think that they're like for me personally, I I don't play, you know, I don't I don't make any uh I don't have any illusion on here that I'm, you know, playing thousands of dollars by any stretch. I'm, I do the mini max. Um, I used to do the birdie a lot, and I figure the the extra fifteen dollars to be able to make an extra hundred thirty lineups gives me, I think, gives me a better chance personally. I don't think that it's for everybody, and I think one hundred fifty max is a completely different skill set than play, making, you know, single entry three max type uh, type allocations and everything like that. So I'm by no stretch suggesting that if you play the birdie, you should just be playing the mini max instead. That's just how I've, you know, how my season was going. I was doing a heck of a lot better playing uh, the 150 max and then doing uh, one one contest of three max and a, a single entry and obviously listener leagues and crap like that but um I think it's important to to spread yourself out at least even if you think you should only be building one lineup i think you should probably you know make two extra and throw it in a three max as well even if it's the whatever it is the um I can't even think of the name of the actual contest but the dollar or the three dollar or the five dollar three entry max whatever it is it doesn't mean you have to be spending a ton of money but I think it's I think it's worthwhile making more than one lineup, but then you have guys like that literally play thousands of dollars with one single lineup. So it, there there's arguments to be made all over the place. Definitely, definitely,
1: absolutely. Which which kind of adds to the element of, of PGA DFS or DFS golf. I think I've said both here in this in the in the podcast, which is which is fine. I think people know them by both. Um, that's the element of it because there's not just one way to win. There's not just one way to do it. It's all about doing what person A or person B feels comfortable with. And, and this is important in, in the coaching sessions that I've done or the people that I've talked to helping is you have to find where your edge is. Maybe it's nowhere. Maybe it's somewhere. That That's the whole thing, right? And I found that my edge long term has been in, more limited entry contests, but that doesn't mean that I still don't love playing the dog leg and I still don't love playing the $5. But overall for return on investment, it has been those. However, I've had some big hits and that's what you play those GPPs for. You play them for the big hits. So if you are looking to stay in the game with a bankroll of $100 a week, the minimax is, is is great. You can play 100 lineups in there for 25 bucks, right? I think it's 50 cents, correct? Uh, yeah. So you can play 150 lineups uh, for 75 bucks, um, 100 lineups for 50 bucks. That's pretty good. Now, now the likelihood of you losing – All of that money, if you do the strategies that Matt and I kind of just suggested on this pod, is very slim. Again, lose all of your money. I'm not going to tell you you're going to make money instantly, (laughs) Um, but it's very unlikely that of the 100 100 lineups or so that you're going to put in, I'm going to say that you're probably going to cash at least a couple of them. Um, Again, using the strategy strategy we just talked about, if you're getting up into the 91, 92, 95% owned range which I've seen plenty of pros do. Sahil Sud was uh, notorious for it. Um, he had the craziest player pool when I when I came in. And if you guys <laughs> if you haven't been in the industry for a while, look this guy up. Um, yeah. But it, very interesting. So, yes, definitely spread it out to answer Jack Loud's question.
0: Yeah, for sure. And like I said, I think you, you're likely going to uh, take some lumps figuring out what you're actually good at. Like, I know last year – Uh, or I guess two years ago now in NFL, I was trying to play uh, the mini max and just found it to be completely overwhelming. I was spreading myself out way too thin, trying to do every stack combination possible Mm -hmm. and it just never worked out. So you have to, you have to be realistic with yourself and know this is what I'm willing to spend. This more importantly, this is what I'm willing to lose and, and treat it like you would treat any other investment. If you want to just, If you want to just grind out and just play double ups and slowly build your role, that's fine. If you want to take shots like lottery tickets, like we've mentioned, that's fine too. But you have to be able to, you know, live with those swings where you're going to you're going to take a long time to uh, uh, potentially, you know, hit that like top 0.5% lineup. (laughs) Definitely. So, all right, man, I, I really I really appreciate your time. We'll get this posted uh, probably for Friday morning. So people – I was going to say people will be listening on their commute, but I guess they won't. They'll be listening while they get ready uh, for their for their day at home. For their, for their day at home. I was told
1: from one of my buddies, uh, he just got sent home working. And he's like, yeah, you know, I had to do some spreadsheet work and I just popped on a podcast while I did the spreadsheet work. So <laughs> if you're listening to this while you work, just, um, you know uh, – <laughs> Make sure that you don't type in the wrong information or start typing in Jordan <laughs> Speed's name into whatever you're working on. But we do uh, thank you at least for uh, listening to you. Listen to us while we while you work.
0: Yeah, for sure. We, we appreciate it. I hope all is well with everybody. And uh, definitely if you have more questions, reach out to us. Uh, I'm on at Matt Jones TFR. And Jason is obviously at DFS for 23. So thanks again. And we will talk soon.